turn to me to John chapter 19. We're going to be starting right at the end of uh, verse 16. Please read along with me. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for all to, for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, Behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, here is the infamous account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The moment that Christ was born for, the reason he came to this earth, to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, that word ransom is a loaded term. Uh, Imagine for a second I kidnapped your child or I kidnapped your family member and I held them for ransom for a million dollars, right? That's what a ransom means. It's a payment that must be made so that someone can go free from some level of captivity. That's what a ransom is. You have to make a payment so someone can go free. And Good Friday then is a day of freedom when a price would be paid so that many, Jesus says, could go free. If Christ needs to ransom us, then the logical conclusion is that something is holding us captive. Something has us underneath its chains and underneath a heavy weight. There is some price looming over our heads. And if Christ died to ransom us, then his death is not a mere example. Christ didn't die as an example to us. His death was not a mere expression of love or even a nice gesture. It was the moment when the Son of God atoned for the sins of the entire world. When he was offered as a sacrificial lamb to appease the wrath of God, he paid the penalty of our sin and moral failure, our shame and our misery. And this passage tells us how he did that. It starts with Jesus walking up to Calvary. Golgotha, 
the Latin phrase Calvary, you may know of, the place of the skull. It was a mountain on a busy highway next to the city of Jerusalem. So as you were coming in and out, Passover was happening and the city of Jerusalem would swell. A million travelers would come to the city of Jerusalem. Now you've got to understand that a million in the ancient world was a huge number. There was only one city in the world at this time that had over a million people and that was the city of Rome. So during this festival, this city would swell to be the biggest city in the world for that small amount of time. And here we have Jesus crucified on the highway. Many saw him and many saw this inscription that was incredibly offensive. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Written in Greek, Aramaic and Latin, just so that everyone could see it. So that everyone could see this man displayed as a mockery with the king of the Jews written above his head. In fact, it was such an outrage and a scandal that they were furious at Pilate for even daring to write it. And so they approached Pilate and said, you have to change this. Write instead that it's only what he claimed, not that he actually is the king of the Jews, Not only did they want to crucify this man, but they wanted to crucify his name too. They wanted to crucify everything about him. They wanted to destroy everything that he stood for. They wanted him to be written off the face of the earth. They wanted to cast Jesus as a man who made ludicrous, ridiculous claims about himself, a rebel, a pretender, a traitor. But the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, would have none of it. He says, what I have written, I have written. See, Pilate had never put to death a man quite like Jesus. In fact, it'd be a worthy thing to do today after the service to go back and read Jesus's interaction with Pontius Pilate, one of the most profound interactions that you could possibly read. And this man has sentenced thousands of people to death, undoubtedly. He's sentenced people to the most brutalizing and agonizing of deaths. He has dealt with criminals and perhaps even the innocent before. And yet, out of all the people that Pilate put to death, he greatly reverenced and feared Jesus. Why? Well, he knew that there was something otherworldly about Jesus. There was something bizarre about him. He didn't, he, he, he didn't, uh, he, he didn't want to bring the disrespect upon Jesus to take this inscription down. And so there, Jesus hung, being starved of oxygen, as he slowly suffocated. Moisture began pooling in his lungs. In fact, that's how you die on a cross. You'd think you'd die from uh, exposure to the elements or maybe uh, blood loss, but actually, when you are hanging up on a cross, as your weight comes down, it contracts your lungs and your lungs cannot possibly breathe. You die of asphyxiation. And as you remain in that position, the only way to breathe is to very painfully push yourself back up so that you can open up your lungs again. And over time, moisture begins pooling and you will eventually almost drown in your own uh, bodily fluids. And so Jesus is struggling for every breath, battered beyond human recognition. Eventually, a spear would get pierced up through his ribs into his lungs and blood and water would come out, indicating that he is definitely dead. That moisture had already pulled up. Far away, watching him is a small collection of Jesus' disciples. Jesus' mother Mary, her sister, and Mary Magdalene. Only one of Jesus' male disciples remained. 
of all Jesus' followers, of all the crowds that congregated around him, for all his popularity, here are the only people that remain with him. The Apostle John, Mary, her sister, and Mary Magdalene. And even in this agony, even in his final moments of life, he, he cares for his mother. He wants to provide for her, and he has no wealth to give. He has nothing to pass on for his mother to care for her. He has no silver or gold to leave her. He has no house. Even the very clothes that were on his back are being cast. Uh, lots are being cast for them right below his feet. Even the money bag that Judas had has, long, has been long gone because we know Judas was stealing that money. Instead, he passes on to his mother Mary the wealth that he does have, the church. He requests that the Apostle John take it upon himself to look after his mother. The collection of disciples and followers that he was about to redeem would be Mary's family. For the collection of believers, this new community, this new family, a new people, these people would carry each other's burdens. They would break bread together. They would provide for one another's needs and they would devote themselves to Jesus' commandments. For unknown to everyone, there this disputed king was about to light a spark that would ignite the kingdom of God in this world. This was the darkest moment for the kingdom, but it would turn into a wildfire. So one last thing remains in our passage. The final scripture that Jesus needed to fulfill before his death. He knew that it was almost done and he says, I thirst. In that moment, the soldiers decided to give him sour wine. It's wine that still has some level of alcoholic content, but is basically vinegar by this point. It's not nice. It's actually quite cheap and disgusting. But it's exactly what Scripture says. Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. See, these were... Seemingly ordinary events, right, that are occurring on the cross. Everyone was seeing these ordinary events. It was just another man dying. But it wasn't. Because every moment that he was there, Scripture was being fulfilled. The most amazing fulfillment of Scriptures, hundreds if not thousands of years old, were being fulfilled right in front of their eyes. And to those that passed, it looked like Christ was at the mercy of the soldiers given over to the whims of wicked men, that Pilate was in control, that the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were in control, but men were not taking Jesus' life from him. Jesus himself said, I lay it down. He's laying it down. John 10, 18, Jesus says, No one takes it from me, that is his life, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to take it down, uh, to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. See, Jesus made a choice to be there in that moment. He did not have to endure the cross. He did not have to hang there and die. Just like a soldier in the trenches, when a grenade falls in front of a bunch of men, one of them may jump upon that grenade and absorb the wrath of that grenade in his body. He lays his life down for his friends. It's exactly what Jesus has done here. So also did Christ absorb the wrath of God in his body so that it would never destroy us. He was the only one who could pay that price. 
He was the only one who could pay that ransom. And he paid the penalty due in its entirety. And when this Greek word, tetelestai, translated here for us, it is finished, passes his lips, it was complete. John is sure to tell us that Christ gave up his spirit. No one took it from him. Jesus gave it up. He fulfilled every scripture, paid every penalty and suffered on that cross for every sin of every person who would ever believe in him, past, present, future. I cannot stress enough how important this event was. All the types and prophecies of the Old Testament were accomplished and answered in Christ. Christ died once and for all. Brothers and sisters, this devastatingly horrible event is good. I described it to Brandon earlier as devastatingly good. It's the best way to describe it. It is right to call this day Good Friday because that is what it is. Christ was made to be sin, he who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ bore the shame of the cross so that we could receive honor in him. Christ was stripped of his clothes so that we could be clothed in garments of white. Christ was afflicted so that we could be ransomed. But most importantly, Christ absorbed the wrath of God so that you would never have to. This is a good day. Christ endured this hardship for our good. And it would be a mockery and a shame if we treated Christ's death as a thing to be mourned rather than a thing to be grateful for. The only answer that we have as Christians is wonder, awe, gratitude, and amazement. Let's look at the words of Charles Wesley. He speaks it perfectly in his hymn, And Can It Be? He says this, the words will be up on the screen. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Saviour's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Brothers and sisters, rejoice this Good Friday. For those of us who believe, it is a day to celebrate. Let's pray. Father, how great your pain, how great the cost as you saw your son Jesus there on uh, the cross battling for his life, fulfilling all of scripture, doing all the things that were necessary so that we could walk free and go free. Lord, you were the one who willed this. You were the one who uh, caused this to happen. It was your will to crush him, but you crushed him for a purpose. By his wounds, Lord, you have healed us. Our transgressions are forgiven. Lord, we can walk free in hope and in faith and in restoration, restoration because of what you have done, Lord. Lord, help us to rejoice, truly rejoice, that this Easter would not just be another year where Easter comes and goes and we spend a little time uh, focused on the goodness of this message, but rather, Lord, that we would just be overwhelmed again and again by your abundant grace to us. I pray here for my brothers and sisters, would the message of Easter drive home into their hearts? Would they rejoice? For this death has brought them freedom and has released them from their chains and has given them a new life. I pray, Lord, that we would image this new life in this new community. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.